after a rather stormy morning and some of you losing your power. It's good to see everyone today. Uh, we do have a number of visitors with us today and we always are thankful to have visitors and we're thankful for new members and we're looking for more. So that's the way we ought to always have our attitude is that we're looking for more people to be a part of the Lord's church and to serve him. I want you to think about what James said in James chapter 1 and verse 26. He said, if any man thinks himself to be religious and does not bridle his tongue, he says, this man's religion is useless. Useless. There's so many people today who are persuaded that being religious is not that big of a deal. In fact, many people have this idea that as long as I am religious of some sort, as long as I can be able to say, yes, I have a religion, I have a faith, that that's going to take care of them. It really doesn't matter to them what religion it is. It does not matter how devoted they are to that religion. It simply is... I've met the basic needs, and thus I am prepared to go to heaven. That's wrong. In fact, the Bible is very clear that this idea of having a religion that lacks commitment, lacks correctness, lacks compassion, is not a religion that will save you. This morning, I want to study three passages of Scripture with you. I want us to look at Mark chapter 10, Acts chapter 10, and Romans chapter 10. That will be our lesson today. And what I want us to do with the time that we have allotted is for us to study these verses and see what kind of religion it is that will take us to heaven. If you'll turn with me now to Mark chapter 10, let's begin our reading at verse 17 and read through verse 22. Mark 17, or Mark 10, 17 through 22. Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come and take up your cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word, and went away sorrowful, 
for he had great possessions. For just a few minutes with each of these, I would like for us to look at the details. And then I'd like to discuss with just a few moments of how it is that you and I can look at this and say, this has some application to us. As you begin reading this section, you realize that this man here is called a certain one. But if you go to Luke's account in Luke chapter 18 and verse 18, he is called there a certain ruler. If you go to Matthew chapter 19 and verse 22, he is called a young man. So I take all of them, put them together. He was the rich, young ruler. Now you might say, what does that indicate? Well, it probably does not mean that he was a ruler in the sense of a ruler in the Sanhedrin like Nicodemus was. Because he was young, he would not have qualified Just like serving as president today, you have to be at least 35 years of age. He was rich in the sense that he had great wealth, he had great possessions. And as his youth indicates that he's not an old man, but that he does have a lot of opportunities. I want you to observe as he arrives at Jesus, he shows a great amount of respect. He says, good teacher. Now Jesus corrects the understanding about what the meaning of good is and how God is good. But this young man showed respect. This young man also had the right question in his heart. What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? This young man had a religious nature to him. You know, sometimes in youth, we have all sorts of goals and ambitions. But this young young man's question was, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? We also know from reading and studying this, that when Jesus told him to keep the commandments, which is the way the Lord always answered people, keep the law, keep the commandments, do what the law says to do. This young man responded by saying, all these I have kept from my youth. This young man is not like many who's out trying to sow his wild oats, trying to enjoy every perspective of life that he can find. You know, Moses was like this. He chose to share ill treatment with the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He understood this young man had allowed his religion to affect his life. He didn't lie. He didn't cheat. He didn't kill. He didn't defraud. He honored his father and his mother. You start getting a picture of this young man and how great he was. If you look at verse 21, it says, Jesus looking at him loved him. But doesn't the Lord love us all? Sure he does. The Lord loved us so much that he gave himself. Greater love has no man than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus did that. But Jesus saw something in this young man that was promising. 
That was good. He had demonstrated an interest in spiritual things. He had also emphasized in his life the fact that he would keep these laws. So he's he's a promising young man. So Jesus said, you want to do what is right. Go sell what you have and give it to the poor. You think about that. The Lord went immediately to the weakness that this young man had. And the truth is, is that when you start thinking about it, there are things in life that are preventative of our being able to go to heaven. Back in Mark chapter 9, verse 47, Jesus said, And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. For it would be better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Whatever it is that was standing in the way, and the Lord was easy, uh, had an easy insight to this young man seeing that his possessions was what he lacked. But the text says he went away sorrowful. Why did he go away sorrowful? Because he wasn't saved. He wasn't willing to make the commitment. You contrast that with, for instance, the Ethiopian eunuch. After he came up out of the water, the text of Luke, chapter, Acts chapter 8, says that he went on his way rejoicing. Now let's think about this for just a few moments with us and about a religion like this, a religion of a person not willing to make a commitment. You look around you and you'll find in this world people who are what we term good folks. They're honest. They pay their bills. They are helpful folks. You get uh, in a situation where you need someone to come and help you, they'll be one of the first at your home to help you. They're the kind that provide well for their family, treat their children and their spouses well. We would say these are good folks. So was this young man. But being good, I remind you again, being good cannot save you. So that's one of the problems that this world has got This idea that if I'm I'm just a good, honest, hard-working, everyday person and I want to have a religion, that'll be my religion and I'll say that'll take me to heaven. And Jesus said, no. You have got to take up your cross and follow me. The second observation here is Jesus was able to go immediately to this young man's difficulty in life. Maybe we ought to call it what it is, the besetting sin. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. The sin which so easily ensnares us. How many of us have something in our lives that is a pet sin that we just keep nursing. And we say, well, you know, I've just got this one little problem over here. This man, this rich young ruler, 
had one little problem. And Jesus said, you've got to take care of it before you can follow me. Now if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. As you're turning there, I know that you're aware of the book of Acts being a book of conversions that highlights and describes the conversions of a number of people. You come to Acts 10 and you have the conversion of a man by the name of Cornelius. And I realize that there are a number of verses here and we cannot look at over almost 50 verses in this lesson and accomplish what we need to. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2, verse 22, verse 33, and then verses 47 and 48. Verses 1 and 2. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household and gave alms generously to all people or to the people and prayed to God always. Drop down with me to verse 22. And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Drop down with me now to verse 33. So I immediately, or sent to you immediately, and you have done well that you have come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Drop down with me now to verse 47 and 48. Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. If you're like me, when you read this, you say there's a lot of similarities between this and the young man of Mark chapter 10. What similarities I begin to see is, is that what kind of marks characteristics do we see in someone that we say that makes them a good person? Well, notice the religion here of Cornelius. Number one, he was a man who prayed always. A man of prayer. Number two, notice he is a man of philanthropy, a giver. One who gives to all the people, gives alms, those who are in need. He's not stingy. Number three, if you go down to verse 22 and verse 33, you will find out that he had a good reputation or he was praiseworthy. Now what kind of man would we say is in our community who is devout, praying, giving, and has a great reputation. We'd say that man's religion is great. 
but do you know he was lost? Here's a man who has a religion, but he is uninformed as to what he needed to do in order to be a child of God. That's the reason why they sent for Peter. That's the reason why when he came, Cornelius said, we're here to hear all things that have been commanded you by God. We want to listen. We want to learn. You see, this section of Scripture is very important when you're studying the book of Acts because it represents the taking of the gospel to people who were fully Gentile. You see, there are other people prior to this who have been converted who have adopted Judaism or been proselyted. But Cornelius is not. He is an uncircumcised Gentile. And a lot of people in their mind was simply this. In order to be saved, what he lacked was to be circumcised. If you go over to Acts 15, verse 1, Luke goes on to say, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. In their minds, what Cornelius needed was to be circumcised. And guess what? That's not what God told Peter to tell him. Don't you notice that a lot of people come up with a lot of different things for people to do that are not in the Bible, that are not requirements by God? And the requirements by God are the things that many of them skip over? The message to Cornelius was... If you look down to verse 36 about Jesus, He is Lord of all. If you back up to verse 35, In every nation, He who works righteousness is accepted with Him. He's talking about a man who believes in Jesus and works righteousness. Now, let's look at some application here. I think it ought to be obvious to us that not just any religion will do. And it's not just any religion that worships the God of the Bible. Now, I know that comes as a wake-up reminder to many people. Should we be right with God in God's way? Well, certainly we should. There are a number of religions that are out there today that worship the God of the Bible, but they're not following the Bible. It should be obvious to us that good deeds, prayers, and things such as that are not in themselves capable of saving us. Even unsaved people can do good deeds. So when I look at the rich young ruler and I look at Cornelius, I recognize the importance of doing what God says to do. Now let's take the third one, and then we'll try to draw this together. If you'll turn with me now to the book of Romans, to chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. We're going to begin with verse 1, and we'll go through verse 4. Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Brethren, 
my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. I want you to think with me for just a moment here as we look at this passage about the mindset that existed among the Jews in the first century. To many of them, being a Christian was the outgrowth of Judaism. Rather than being, as the Hebrew writer describes it, as a new and a living way. You see, to many of them, it was just taking the Old Testament Judaism, polishing it up a little bit, and repackaging it and giving it to people and saying that is Christianity. That's what Acts 15 verses 1 and following was all about. Paul was deeply grieved that for the most part his brethren, according to the flesh, had not accepted the gospel. When you listen to what Paul is saying here, he says, my prayer to God for Israel is that she may be saved. I want my people to be saved. Let me ask you a question. Any of you want your family to be saved? Your brothers, your sisters, your mother, your father, your son, your daughter? Well, sure you do. But Paul said they're not. In fact, if you want to go back with me to chapter 9, look with me at what you find in verses 1 through 3. I tell you the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing witness with me in the Holy Spirit. That I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh. Paul loved them so much he would, would willingly sacrifice himself for their benefit so that they could be saved. And he says, I'm willing to be lost myself. Now, folks, that's really loving somebody. That's really caring about somebody. But Paul says, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. These people are not only religious, they're devout religious folks, dedicated religious folks. But then he uses that qualification, but not according to knowledge. They did not know what they should do. He goes on to say, because of that, they did not submit themselves to the righteousness of God, and he said they sought to establish their own righteousness. They came up with their own plan. It resulted in them substituting their system of salvation for God's system. You know, quite often people will come up like the rich young ruler and say, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to be saved? 
when those questions are asked, what kind of answer is provided? For these people, their answer was, this is what we think you ought to do. Now, for just a few minutes, think with me about this. Ignorance is a powerful pitfall for us. I don't think sometimes we realize how sad ignorance can be. I want to illustrate it to you for a passage or two. If you want to turn back with me to Acts chapter 3, and let's pick up with verse 17. Acts chapter 3, verse 17. These are the Jewish people who crucified Christ. And as Peter and John are preaching to them, here's the way they respond. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as also did your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. These people were ignorant. He said, I know that you did it in ignorance. I know your rulers did it in ignorance. But he didn't say that's okay. In 5 verse 19, he says, Repent. Therefore, and turn again. Go with me to Acts 17 now. Verses 30 and 31. Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31. These are Gentiles. Acts 3 was Jews. These are Gentiles. Gentiles have been worshiping pagan gods. Truly the times of this ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained, and he has given assurance of this to all men, and that he raised him from the dead. Let me give you one more passage about this. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 20. Ephesians 4, 17 through 20. I can imagine the gospel going to a place like Ephesus that has a large Jewish contingent there, also has a lot of pagans there. And Paul says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to practice or given themselves over to lewdness, to work on cleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ. The problem is, ignorance is a real issue. It was the issue for the Jews, it's the issue for the Gentiles, and it's the issue for 2013 in Middle Tennessee. There are so many people ignorant of what God's plan 
is to save man. And if you go out, you will get exactly the same kind of response that Romans 10 gives us. Because they're ignorant of God's righteousness, they seek to establish their own righteousness, their own plan. But somebody says, well, they can't help it. Oh, but they can. In Matthew chapter 13, when Jesus begins speaking in parables, one of the very first things that he says is, for the hearts of this people has grown dull. Their ears of hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts and turn again so that I should heal them. You know, there's a problem with people who have closed eyes and closed ears, who refuse to listen, who are more interested in their own ways than they are in God's ways. God does not allow substitutions. In fact, there's some very strong warnings in the Bible about changing what God has given us. Galatians 1, 6 through 9, very important passage. One I think just really resonates with me is Revelation 22, 18 and 19. He said, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the prophecy of this book, God will take away his part out of the holy book of life and from the holy city and from the things that are written in this book. You can go to Nadab and Abihu and ask them about substituting fire. You can go to David and ask him about substituting a cart for the transportation of the ark on the shoulders of the priest. Scripture is fulfilled with people who tried to substitute their plan for God's plan. Now what's the full conclusion of all of this? When you look at Mark 10, Acts 10, Romans 10, you understand that you can be religious and you can be wrong. Or to use the words again from James 1.26, this man's religion is useless. Let me ask you a question this morning. Looking at those three passages, is there something in your life like there was in the life of that rich young ruler that's keeping you out of heaven? Is there a sin in your life that you're nursing that you've just been saying, well, I, that's just my sin. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to give it up. Or are you like Cornelius, a person with a lot of good in your life, a lot of talent, a lot of ability, but you have not been fully instructed in what you need to do? Don't do like the people of Romans 10. Make it up on your own. Listen carefully to God and do what He says. You want to be a Christian this morning? You must believe in Jesus that He is the Son of God. John 8 and verse 24, Jesus said, If you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. You need to repent of the sins you have committed. As we studied in Acts 3.17, 
Acts 17.30. You need to confess that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, as the eunuch did in Acts 8, verse 37. And then to be baptized for the remission of your sins. If you need to do that this morning, we encourage you to do that or to be restored. Would you come as we stand inside?